0: smells and memories.
1: Ice. It's processed through the thalamus.
0: Yes. And the hippocampus, where hippos go to school.
1: You're total (laughs) mad.
0: I accept that about myself though. There's (laughs) no point fighting it. In the beginning of the history of experimental observation or any other kind of observation
1: on scientific things, it's intuition. It's intuition which is really based on just experience with everyday objects that... Just reasonable explanations
0: for things. Hello and welcome to Two Shrinks Pod. My name's Amy Donaldson and I'm joined by Hunter Melcare. Hello. Hi. So this week we're going to talk about procrastination. I've got, I think, about five articles to talk through. Yep. And in the process of preparing it... We tapped into our own tendency for procrastination. Oh, my,
1: my procrastination totally got activated <laughs> reading these articles.
0: Yeah, I didn't expect it to. Like, I thought, this will be perfectly fine and I'll just read the stuff. Yep.
1: No. 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 And, and like, I've I'd, I'd never really read much about procrastination. No, me neither. Uh, I've talked about it before in the pod as, as sort of avoidance of things and a sort of a fear of failure and sort of associating that with perfectionism mm. in my mind. If you want to do something perfectly and then you you, you might avoid doing it because you're gonna fail, that kind of theory. Yeah. And it was interesting reading a lot of these articles because I mean the ones the two ones that I chose had multiple studies yeah. in the research paper. Yeah. Which is unusual. <laughs> really made me think, Are these yeah. researchers have they got a little of this perfectionism thing going on?
0: Actually maybe that's my why mine are so short. Why like they're that? They're to the point. They're concise.
1: <laughs> they, they had to get it done. They, they get straight the in minute. there.
0: Yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's no messing about.
1: Do you have any procrastination horror stories?
0: Um, I'm I'm not too bad because I tend to, I guess, well, one of the articles that I've got talks about active versus passive procrastination, mm-hmm. and I tend to work a lot better in the sort of two three days before something's mm-hmm. due. Mm-hmm. So I have to set myself deadlines, otherwise I do procrastinate. But mm-hmm. if I've got deadlines. Mm-hmm. I sort of, I put things off, but it serves a function.
1: Yeah. One of my last articles talks about perhaps some of the the mechanisms of that. Yeah. yeah, I Like if I've got a hard deadline, then I can be incredibly efficient. And that could be the deadline around the actual task. Yeah. Or it can be, I've got to get some work done because I'm about to go, you know, I'm going away for the weekend and I'm definitely not going to be able to do it. So I have to do it now Uh, rather than kind of like it's due tomorrow. Which is also a deadline, but yeah, it's certainly, yeah. I think my habit has been to agree to tasks where it's very difficult to get out of them. Yeah, so that you've got that and, external pressure, and, and it's the external pressure because, like, if I set stuff myself, yeah, it's it, the social, <laughs> the, the social, the social pressure, the social pressure gets me over the line, and I'm yeah. definitely a procrastinator.
0: Actually, as you're talking, I was thinking, you know, the I'm not a procrastinator with work and academic things. But if it's something like doing my dishes, absolutely, I will procrastinate. Yeah, so, right. Yeah, it, it's more those kind of those kind of things.
1: So it'd be interesting to know whether people are across the board procrastinators or whether it does vary by domain and stuff like that. So we're hoping that uh, this pod will be interesting for those of you yep. who get around to listening to it. So. <laughs> and, Um, All
0: right, so shall I kick us off? Yeah, you kick us off. All right, so the first article that I found is called Procrastination, Distress and Life Satisfaction Across the Age Range, a German representative community study by Butel and colleagues in PLOS One in 2016. Basically, they talk about how previous research has found that procrastination is linked to a whole range of negative outcomes, so things in terms of psychological symptoms, poorer academic functioning, some different health things as well, because people tend to procrastinate on health-related behaviours, but that there hasn't been much across the age range. So, often this stuff tends to be studied in university samples and focuses on academic rather than across the board. So, what they wanted to do is look at a representative sample in Germany. So, they got people aged 14 to 95 and they tried to match, you know, socio-demographic variables, regions of Germany. It was quite a comprehensive study and they conducted interviews with people in there. In their sample, and got them to complete a range of scales as well. So they looked at procrastination, general health, perceived stress, burnout, life satisfaction, and then a bunch of measures of psychological distress. So there were things around sort of depression, general anxiety. There was also measures of fatigue.
1: I mean, that's as quite well. like a whole lot of different measures. And the measure, the procrastination was like a scale. Yeah. Yeah, right.
0: So what they found was that procrastination decreased over the age range. So the highest group were in the 14 to 29 year age range yep. and in that age range men procrastinated more than women yeah, right. but that for the rest of the lifespan there were no gender differences in procrastination and then they also found in that age range that people who were studying procrastinated more than people who were working yeah which it kind of fits anecdotally mm,
1: but you know the lay about university student yeah i guess so doesn't really get anything done yeah yeah is that where is that the you know, the people who are working. Yep, yeah.
0: who are having to get people out there work. and do stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then as they expected, they found that procrastination was associated with negative outcomes pretty much across the board. So people had people who procrastinated more had more depression, anxiety, greater levels of fatigue, higher perceived stress, and lower life satisfaction. Mm. And that was across the age range. Well,
1: you would wonder whether that's chicken and egg. Mm. mood disorders and stuff like that.
0: Well, they did look at predictors as well, of procrastination. And so that was predicted by being younger, being male, single, unemployed, and if you had depression, stress and fatigue. But interestingly, not anxiety, which that was insignificant and I expected that that would be.
1: I would have definitely said anxiety was part of it but yeah interesting
0: yeah, interesting so that's a quick shna- a snapshot of what it looks like across the age range but
1: ma- maybe the uh, age the older ones like all the procrastinators died off <laughs>
0: <laughs> from avoiding all of their health related yeah. activities look,
1: yeah. i mean I, look i jest about that but actually like it's a it's yeah. a, a problem in the hospitals where people will come in with a uh, a, a rather large tumor that yeah they had actually been avoiding yeah coming in
0: And then it's incurable rather than... Yeah, and
1: unfortunately it's incurable or it's going to be difficult to cure.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's possible. But yeah, no. Yeah. I I also... I was was jesting. Yeah. I
1: went went serious, (laughs) damn it.
0: But I also, like, I wonder if it's that sort of... It didn't surprise me that people who were in their older age weren't procrastinating Mm. as much because you would presume that a lot of what they're doing is more enjoyable activities or sort of stuff around home, perhaps less of that external pressure.
1: Yeah, I mean, I certainly, I mean, as a younger person, you have more time Mm. and I'll get into that in my last article, but more time allows for more procrastination. And I certainly know as an individual, once I had children, Mm. my procrastination just dropped markedly because i just (laughs) had to get stuff done yeah so it's interesting it's it's a multi-factorial kind of
0: like when you drop from more days at work to less but your workload doesn't change you still you end up procrastinating far less because it's just got to get it done yeah yeah that's it yeah so one thing i wondered about was whether how representative the sample was. Like it was demographically, but I wonder about the procrastination side of things, whether that influenced who participated in the yep. study in yep. terms of following up with phone calls and arranging an interview with someone and completing all the measures and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Whether procrastinators who are older are actually just more efficient at avoiding doing yeah. stuff and didn't get involved in the study. Yeah. <laughs> it could be.
0: It could be. Yes. But.
1: There you go. So the paper I'm going to talk about is from 1986 and it's, it's got one of my most favorite research article titles. We really Um, need to create that list. uh, We do. It's called, so this paper is called at last my research article on procrastination. (laughs) And I think I came across this article when I was doing my honors. The author of the paper is lay Mm -hmm. and it's in the journal of research in personality, 1986. It was interesting reading a paper from this, Time because the style of it yeah. is much less formal and structured. Mm, yeah, uh, in this really kind of loose, interesting kind of way. Do- so, do-
0: language-wise, or in terms of the actual structure of the study.
1: More about the structure, like the way that the structure of the study is presented. Yeah. Sort of sections sort of seem to flow a little bit in between each yeah. other and stuff like that, whereas now they're sort of very, very, very rigid. Very, very, very rigid. Yeah. And it's interesting because it does actually make it more a little bit more difficult to follow. Mm. This paper describes the beginnings of a program to examine individual and situational correlates of procrastinating behaviour. Mm-hmm. They talk about procrastinators, well, at this time, were, d- were thought to perhaps be overwhelmed By fear of failure or fear of success or that some procrastinatory behaviour may represent a form of rebellion to those in authority. Mm. If you feel you're being unfairly treated by people, then you might put off doing something. Or it might be the result of simply one's unwillingness to act on an unpleasant or difficult task. Yeah. So, but I think all those things. I think are probably fairly valid. Mm. So they developed a scale called the Procrastination Scale. Procrastination is defined as a tendency to postpone that which is necessary to reach some goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the factors in the scale correlate with this neurotic disorganisation at one end, organisation at the other. So there's this organisation disorganisation yep. component which has sort of cognitive and behavioral aspects. And that was one of the things they were interested in looking at in this paper. Three studies Mm -hmm. that used a version of this procrastination scale. Study one, university students. They were all in this introduction to psychology class. They were all given the procrastination scale with a few other scales, including a measure of rebellion. And they were given an envelope and asked to send it back within six days. And it was addressed to the author's home. Wow, yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't see that anymore. <laughs> you wouldn't see that anymore. Uh, and then they looked at questionnaire scores and compared it to the date of the postmark on the envelope. Okay, yeah. So, yep. it was an actual behavioral measure of...
0: Yeah, how much they delayed. Yeah, so yep.
1: they were looking at how long did it take them to mail back this thing. Hmm. And then they also looked at the student's grade point average, it's mm-hmm. American study, and also their performance on the final exam of the psych course. So they had a final sample of 67 and they found that procrastination score was negatively associated with organization mm-hmm. and positive with uh, neurotic disorganization. Okay. So like if you're more sort of anxiously disorganized,
0: you procrastinate more. Yeah,
1: that's right. Procrastination scale was positive with rebelliousness and also negative to social desirability mm-hmm. and energy level self-esteem and achievement were unrelated to procrastination. Okay. Yeah. So they split the group into high or low procrastinators and looked at who mailed it back by mm-hmm. the deadline or after. So people who mailed it prior to the deadline, there was 31 low procrastinators as compared to 19 high procrastinators. Okay. So that sort of fits and for the people who returned it late there was two low procrastinators and 10 high procrastinators. Yeah. So it's kind of proportionally, yeah. Yeah, so so it's sort of sort of a test of how good this scale is. Yeah. And Although they did say completing the inventory might have provided an opportunity to to avoid other tasks such as attending <laughs> to schoolwork. Yeah, very and true. so high procrastinators might have been more likely to engage in such behavior <laughs> and do so early on. And so their early returns could have been yeah. misleading. They found that procrastination scores are not associated with grade point average or their mark on the exam. So they didn't seem to think that achievement was related to procrastination, procrastinators performed as well, as academically as non-procrastinators. Okay, the second study, they examined the ongoing personal projects of subjects identified by procrastinators and non-procrastinators on the basis of their procrastination scale. So they got psych students from the same course, so so they'd already had their procrastination Mm -hmm. scores. Then they asked them to take a questionnaire packet which had this thing called the Personal Projects Questionnaire and they were paid $3 and asked to sign a receipt marking their intention to return and then $3, it's so cute. It, it is, it's amazing. Um, so, and so the breakdown of the 119 who were present, 22 took the money and were, quote, never heard from again. <laughs> And that was actually split on high and low procrastinators. And then they had a final sample of 94. uh, Who
0: took the money and returned it. And returned it and filled it out
1: properly. Yeah. A personal projects questionnaire, this is the thing I knew about from my honest thing, is like you get people to list a whole lot of goals that they're working on. Mm -hmm. And then you ask them to list 10 that were like out of this list that you've made and Then you can rate them on things like importance, time spent on the project, amount of stress that it brings. And then you can also qualitatively group what are those goals according to different dimensions, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So, there's this whole field of personal goal literature, which is...
0: And do they provide their own goals or do they select from a predetermined list? No, no, no,
1: it's it's their own. Okay, So, so So, like Amy what are the things you're working on at the moment Yeah, kind of thing. Okay. They found that procre- high procrastinators nominated a greater frequency of vocational projects. So, this is like deciding what career to pursue mm. than low procrastinators. And they also indicated a higher number of hobby projects. Yep, Low procrastinators dis- declared more what they called estate projects, like cleaning the house, having a lawnmower repaired, Buying clothes in high procrastinators, mm-hmm. which kind of fits with what you were talking about before. Yeah. Low procrastinators had a higher number of family orientated projects like visiting family, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. They compared a whole lot them on a whole lot of ratings of importance, enjoyment, success, self identity. The only thing that differentiated procrastinators was that they spent less time and less adequate time working on their on their projects than, okay. s- than high procrastinators. So
0: they spent their time on other stuff. Yeah. That was different. Or, or they to just their... didn't spend it on those projects.
1: Right? Yeah, Yeah, and that the procrastinators were actually aware of that. Like because this is them mask. you're asking a procrastinator yeah. and they're yeah. actually aware. I, I don't probably I don't spend enough time on it. Yeah. Be... Okay. So study three, they wanted to look at this neurotic disorganization element of procrastination. This is my favourite study in the paper. <laughs> so basically asking this question you know procrastinating behaviour may be viewed on one hand as an active attempt to postpone necessary behaviour, but at what extent is it a product of disorganized thinking mm-hmm. or forgetting? Is it that they're not remembering? Yeah. Right. And so, so they wanted to get participants to do something at a later time mm-hmm. and then see whether procrastinators would do less well. Okay. Yeah. Right.
0: So, set a delayed task.
1: So, subjects were... So, this is subjects. Yeah. Right. Whereas now in, in... So, if you're listening at home, when I went through uni, mm. it was subjects... In yeah. your study and now it's participants in your study. <coughs> yeah, and it'll change again in the future. Yeah. So it's really, really subtle, but so but anyway, subjects in the study. It's like
0: clients versus patients versus consumers. consumers. Oh my god, consumers.
1: Oh. They're patient because they're waiting. Yeah. And <laughs> subjects in the study were passengers waiting in an airport in Toronto. Okay. Right. And they were administered a personality inventory. With a number of traits Particularly the procrastination scale And a measure of cognitive failures Which was it was hopefully going to tap into this Neurotic disorganization thing Okay 86 people mm-hmm. Completed these questionnaires And then a second assistant Saying that they were from the same university But a different project Yeah. Actually they were in the same project Yeah <laughs> Asked them to be part of a study On the efficiency of the Federal Postal Service And they'll give them an envelope And saying Can you mail this back Yeah. When you get to your destination. Okay. Right. And they were asked to either mail it back on arrival mm-hmm. or three days after arrival. Okay. Right? Yep. And so the ideas of the procrastinations is, you know, when when is it mailed back to you? Interestingly noted that like your sample, that the university samples had a higher procrastination score than this sample. But they then noted that many of these people were not meeting connecting flights and had arrived at the airport, ahead of schedule, so maybe you weren't <laughs> procrastinators. Okay, yes. <yeah. laughs> I love this, all the caveats. Yeah, yeah. So eighty-three percent returned the envelope. Returners didn't differ by procrastination versus non-returners. Yeah, they looked at the samples whole, and then they also looked at those who only returned the envelopes. And basically, they found that those who had high procrastination scores were more likely to return the envelope later. So, okay, which is yep. what you expect. What it expects. Yeah, really nice finding. Yep. Cognitive failures didn't associate it with return.
0: So, it wasn't to do with memory.
1: Yeah. I mean, they, they, they didn't think that that questionnaire they used was perhaps as good as what they needed. Yeah. But they also said, well, you know, you can actually remember to do something, but it doesn't actually mean you go and do it. Yeah. And this is a complicated discussion, which I'll skim over. Length of the flight was found to be associated with the delay in returning the envelope. So, which essentially more time, yeah, meant there was more factors that could affect, could memory. interfere with, yeah and, yeah, and intervene. And then they did a regression and found procrastination, duration of flight, energy level, and self-esteem all influenced the accuracy of returning the flight. There you go. So, so I, I really, I really love that study. <laughs> it was so that, interesting.
0: It is interesting, and those like those three studies are so neat and just yep, tightly exactly like. focused on what they're supposed to be focused on. Yeah, and like
1: <laughs> and a really, really nice behavioural measure of an activity Yeah. Or something, right? So, it's not just a questionnaire, but it's like... You, know, you then do this. A date. Yeah. You know, blah, blah, blah. Interesting. Yeah. So you on.
0: good. All right. We'll move forward back to 2017. My second article is called Procrastination, Personality, Traits, and Academic Performance. When active and passive procrastination tell a different story by Kim and colleagues in personality and individual differences this year. They're interested in looking at the difference between active and passive procrastination. So they define passive procrastination, kind of what we've been talking about so far, that it's a voluntary delay of an intended course of action, despite expecting to be worse off because of the delay versus active procrastination where it's about an individual's preference for time pressure so it's a decision to procrastinate that then facilitates them meeting their deadlines and achieving what they want to achieve so putting off Saying, well, I'm not going to work on something until a few days before it's due because I do my best work in those few days. Mm, okay. Rather than it being
1: like, oh, I'm going to do something about it this afternoon, but then I don't actually go and do exactly. about it this afternoon. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And rather than having that kind of connotation of, guilt or negative kind of experience going with it it's a decision of well this is what works best for me yeah right yeah so it's quite a different but is that really feel procrastination to
1: procrastination or is that just like efficiency
0: well apparently it's quite controversial <laughs> because some people argue exactly that that it's not procrastination because it doesn't have that feel to it
1: i would say it's procrastination if if i say it, look i'm not going to work on it hmm. But then, in the intervening time, I'm like really stressed about the fact I've got to do. this Definitely, thing. yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. Then I think it falls into the passive category.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's yeah, yeah. that is it, emotional it, if, 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 or, experience. Where if it's legitimately like, yeah, I'm going to do the washout later on. Yeah. But like, yeah, like I'm not worried about getting that done. Then I call that active. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, interesting, yeah. interesting.
0: Yeah. So, they wanted to look at whether personality traits, grade point average, and types of procrastination were related. Yeah. So, they used the big five, which I'm sure we've talked about multiple times before. Neuroticism, but...
1: extraversion, openness to experience. Agreeableness. Agreeableness,
0: Conscientiousness.
1: Conscientiousness, yeah.
0: To look at that, they administered questionnaires to 178 students that were enrolled in a hospitality management school in Switzerland. So they had the students complete surveys two years apart. So, towards the start of their course and then down the track, they did what you would expect in terms of, you know, a big five measure two measures, one of active procrastination, one of passive, and then they looked at their GPA at the end of the two-year period. So They found that extroversion, agreeableness, and conscientiousness were all negatively related to passive procrastination.
1: Mm -hmm. So, if you were extroverted, you would do less less... Passive, yep. procrastination. Fewer agreeable, less passive. Yeah. Last one was conscientious. Too conscientious. Yeah, well, it makes sense. Yeah. Yep.
0: So they thought that the reasons for this were that for the extroverted people that they were more active and assertive in their nature, and so they were less likely to procrastinate because they were sort of you know out there doing stuff. For the agreeable people, it was more. They thought it was more about avoiding inconveniencing others or that sort of social referencing element, and then. Conscientiousness is all about being organized, goal directed. Makes sense. Mm. They found that neuroticism was positively related to passive procrastination. The more you have that tendency to be sort of anxious and internally focused, internally focused the more you procrastinate. Yeah, that makes the passive sort. Yep. yep. And then for active procrastination, they found that extroversion was positively related to active procrastination. So more extroverted, more. Active procrastination mm-hmm.
1: and more so like I'm knowingly putting it off. Yeah, yeah.
0: And conscientiousness was negatively related.
1: Mm-hmm. So if you're conscientious, you you just get the task done. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: And they found that active procrastination wasn't related to GPA. I mean, they sort of in their conclusion said that people who actively procrastinate do quite well, but it wasn't a significant. Finding, But they did find that passive procrastination was significantly negatively related to GPA. So, if the more you used passive procrastination, the lower your GPA was. Mm. Yeah. Which kind of makes sense if it's that kind of
1: delaying well, well, things doing it at the last like, pass- minute. Passive procrastination has kind of got much more a negative connotation to it, doesn't it? Yeah, it and does. you can see how you could F things up pretty easily. Yeah. Whereas the active is kind of like, it sounds like you're a bit more in control.
0: Especially if you combine it with the sort of neuroticism and whatever. If you're kind of anxious and have put stuff off and then Mm, are trying to do it at the last minute, mm, mm, mm. it it sort of makes sense that your GPA would be affected. Yeah.
1: So, there you go. Oh, that's it? Neat little study. Yep. Yeah, that actually kind of leads into this paper. Mm -hmm. So, this is called... Uh, procrastination of enjoyable experiences. So, up up until now, we've been kind of talking about aversive or semi-aversive experiences.
0: Difficult, that sort of thing. Difficult.
1: So, this idea that, you know, you for aversive tasks, you procrastinate because the immediate costs and effort are high. Mm -hmm. The benefits are delayed. Studying, right? The immediate costs are high. The benefit of a good grade is far off in the the future, right? The paper is by Suzanne Shu and Aliette Genesey. Uh, and it's in the Journal of Marketing Research mm-hmm. in 2010. And so they talk about literature focusing on unpleasant tasks, you know, study, diet, exercise, a few short-term benefits, so aversive in the short run. Yeah. And the suggest that procrastination also occurs for pleasurable tasks, right? So it's sort of interesting to think about this idea of costs. Mm. And, stuff. and I know when I've tried to make changes in my own personal life, when I focused on trying to recognize the benefits of, say, doing exercise, but yeah. the more immediate benefits of doing something like that, then that's actually much more rewarding. Yeah, definitely, than, than
0: if you think long-term. a year down the track. Yeah, or, yeah, that's
1: right. So they summarize the literature talking about, so this, get, this might get a little bit dense, sorry, listeners, but talking about the discounting of future costs is associated with thinking, about things that need to be done now or soon. Mm -hmm. So, by thinking about these tasks, people then believe they have more time available in the future than they actually do. So, basically... So, it's
0: sort of like I've always got time to... In the future, you have more time. Start doing that. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: So, it's basically this idea that, that people overestimate their ability to complete an aversive task within a specific time frame.
0: So, I don't have time to do it now, but I could do it next week. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. But really, do you have much more time next week than you do today? Probably not. Probably not, yeah. Like on average. In line with this, advice to counter-procrastination really just involves setting specific deadlines. Must complete things promptly, increasing costs for not completing the activity in the near future. Yep. Right? So, if you increase the immediate cost then you motivate people mm-hmm. essentially. And so you stop this temporal offsetting yeah. of behavior. Right, and, and they show some interesting research to show the patterns of aversive and enjoyable experiences can be very similar. Mm-hmm. So they talk about signing up for a healthcare plan. So that might be viewed as an aversive thing to do. You know, you've got to do it. The yeah. benefit of that is much, much delayed. Yeah. Versus, say, visiting a museum exhibit before it ends. Mm-hmm. Show exactly the same patterns, which is everybody does it right at the last minute. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So they were interested in this, interested in seeing whether you could see this pattern of procrastination with enjoyable experiences, not okay. just aversive experiences. And, and the theory is in this paper, obviously, about being with, about this cost-benefit yep. kind of element. So, they did five studies. Well <laughs> Okay. So, the first two are about seeing whether actually you do get a procrastinating effect for positive experiences. Mm-hmm. And then the last three are trying to look at the... Tease apart that. Tease apart why. Yeah. Study one. I'll try and whip through these as yep. quick as I can. They want to see if natural limited or t- unlimited time windows have the predicted effect on behavior. So the theory being that if you have unlimited time, you procrastinate doing pleasurable activities. Mm-hmm. So the task was visiting a highly rated landmark, mm-hmm. so like a monument or museum in a large international city. Yeah. So residents have unlimited time versus visitors have a limited window. Okay. Right? Yep. So if Makes all sense. things being equal, you think, well, you know, a resident lives there longer, they're more likely to go and do it. Right. Yeah. They distributed uh, surveys in three cities, London, Chicago and Dallas, to 109 pedestrians. Mm-hmm. And in these questionnaires, they asked how much time had they been in seven international cities and which landmarks had they visited okay. when they were there. And then they asked residents of the three cities how many of their visits to local landmarks had they done mm-hmm. and whether they'd done them alone or with other local residents or with out-of-town guests, yeah. right, to see if residents were seeing the landmarks because they had a visitor in town, yeah. right? So the results, residents, there was a slight linear increase in visits to homes, home city things mm-hmm. for the first two years and then it stabilizes, yeah. right? And 60% of visits to landmarks occurred with out-of-town guests, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, it was, seems about right. <laughs> what a great finding. Right? Yeah. For visitors, they found that people visited cities on average 16 days, mm-hmm. about two weeks. And an average two-week visitor sees about 4.4 landmarks compared to 3.3 for someone who's lived there for one year. Mm-hmm. A three-week visitor would see marginally more landmarks than someone who lived there for three years. Yeah. And then it tapers off after about four weeks. Okay, At, at yeah. which, which point they seem to think that the visitors start to act like, Residents, yeah, right, and then they were like, "Well, maybe some residents don't like visiting landmarks," so they excluded those who hadn't travelled and ran the analysis again. They got the same results essentially. So visitors, short time periods, see more than residents, and if they break down by city, the pattern was the same. With the London and Chicago residents, they also saw higher landmarks when travelling than when they're at home. Yeah. Study two, because residents might be less likely to visit local landmarks because they find them less enjoyable than tourists. They ran a follow-up study with former residents of Chicago. Mm -hmm. Participants were people who'd studied at university in Chicago but then moved away. Right. Online survey on visits to landmarks, asking them when they'd visited relative to their move date, Mm -hmm. right, and about their enjoyment because they're wanting to see, well, maybe there's also like, maybe they don't enjoy going to landmarks and maybe that's why they don't do it. 51 people, almost 50% of visits happened in the year before moving Mm -hmm. right 40 percent in the last six months 18 percent of visits to landmarks in there in that city was in the last two weeks before moving right so that's when they were were packing yeah yeah so so again you see this thing of like yeah you do it you do these pleasurable things that's clustered towards the end yeah right they tried to assess whether it was just then maybe they don't enjoy visiting landmarks they found that These people did actually visit landmarks when they were in other cities. Mm -hmm. They just did it more often than in their hometown. Yeah. The enjoyment ratings showed high enjoyment. So, lack of enjoyment doesn't seem to be a driving factor in this procrastination. Okay. So, yes, people procrastinate on pleasurable activities. Okay. So, they decided to do three studies Mm -hmm. to look at the reason behind procrastination. Study three, 85 people. There's two conditions. Mm -hmm. In each condition... You're asked to imagine that you get a gift certificate for a 45-minute massage. Yeah. Right? Condition one, it expires within one week. Mm-hmm. Condition two, you imagine in one month that you found this gift certificate, you'd forgotten about it. Yeah. And it expires in one week. Okay. Right? Yeah. So still one week, but, but that one week is in the future. Yeah. Versus now. All right? Now I asked how likely were you to use it, how busy you you thought you were. And how much would you be willing to pay to extend the certificate? Mm -hmm. So, what they found was that group one, which is this week, Mm -hmm. thought they'd be less likely to use it, had a higher expectation of busyness and a higher willingness to pay. So, essentially, discounting future time investment costs and continue to perceive future benefits, right? So, people don't realize they're going to be as busy next month as they are right now. And so, the activity point. Yeah. Right? Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So, study four, mm-hmm. they wanted to look at actual behaviors. Yeah. Right? So, study one, residents procrastinated with predicted procrastination. Study three, people said they wouldn't procrastinate in mm-hmm. the future. Right? So, it's kind of contradictory. So, yeah. they wanted to iron this out. So, they actually gave 64 <laughs> students a gift certificate to a high-quality French pastry shop. Mm-hmm. The two conditions is expires in three weeks or it expires in two months, right? We go tomorrow. Oh. <laughs> That's it.
0: Sorry, you mentioned my trigger word.
1: <laughs> Actually, what was good is they, they did they ran a, obviously a pilot study mm. to see what the base rate of people using a gift certificate would be. Yep. <laughs> <It was great. laughs> I'm up for that. I'm very thorough. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and the gift certificate was for a good slice of cake and a beverage worth about six dollars. Hmm. And then they tracked the use and then followed them up after the expiry dates with the survey. So, like the previous study, the group that with the two-month certificate thought it would be easy to use and that they thought they'd be more likely to use it. Yep. But behaviorally, similar to the previous study, people who had the three-week certificate were more likely to redeem it than the 2 months. So, mm. 32% yep. in the three-week group redeemed it versus 6% in the two-month group. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's a big drop.
1: That's a huge drop. So, yeah. moral stories. Think
0: all that wasted pastry. Oh,
1: so much cake. So, I mean, the moral of the story is like, if you get a gift certificate, use it ASAP. Yeah. Right?
0: Which explains, I suppose, why there are those websites where people sell about to expire gift certificates that they're not going to use and stuff like that. that. I did not know that existed. Yeah. For like discount amounts. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well,
1: so, and what's interesting is that the behavior is contrary to the participants' expectations. Yeah. Right, yeah. So if you someone says Here, here's a two month one, yeah, oh, I definitely use that. Yeah, oh, one week one, I won't use that. Mm. Sorry, three week one, I won't use that. But actually, it's the reverse. It's the reverse. They did a follow up survey to see if it was actually procrastination. Those who redeemed. The gift voucher mm-hmm. enjoyed it, and those who didn't regretted it. So, okay. And you know, there was a strong agreement on I was too busy to, and I ran out of time, or I think I kept thinking I could do it later. So, it relates to judgments of time. Yeah. And low agreement on things to do with forgetting or requiring too much effort, disliking pastry. So, hmm.
0: not about that. No, uh, no. Yeah.
1: So, essentially, if you give more time, you're more positive about using it, but you're less likely to do it. Mm-hmm. Final study <laughs> it gets a little complicated here, but. What they wanted to do is they wanted to manipulate the costs and benefits of a task, not just the time okay. allowed to do it. All right. So, stick with me, everyone here. They gave undergraduate students gift vouchers to a local cinema, mm-hmm. right? Similar to before, it expires in either in two weeks or in six weeks, mm-hmm. right? Then what they did is they altered the vouchers according to benefit. So, there's two conditions here. So, low benefit was you get one free ticket. Mm-hmm. Two bene- A high benefit is two free tickets. Okay. right. And they also altered the vouchers according to cost. So, low cost would be, it was to a cinema 10 minutes walk Mm -hmm. away and high cost was 20 minutes walk away. Okay. Yep. And so, they had four conditions, low cost, low benefit, low cost, high benefit, high cost, low benefit, high cost, high benefit. Yep. Right? This is classic two by two design in psychology. It allows them to kind of really nut out.
0: Which element is. Which,
1: you know, is it yeah. cost or is it benefit? And they mm-hmm. didn't expect that there'd be a interaction effect, I don't think. And then they also then gave them a questionnaire after the expiry notes. If you didn't follow all of that, I'll explain the results. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be a little clearer. Okay. So, again, they found the shorter time frame resulted in less procrastination. Mm-hmm. So, when they increased the benefits, mm-hmm. right, double movie pass versus single, they found more procrastination. Right, So, people were more likely to procrastinate. Interesting. I, yeah, yeah. Yep. So, again, essentially, there was in the longer term condition, like so the six-week group, uh, there was less usage. Mm-hmm. It was in the short, they were only expecting to see the change in the longer term group. Yeah. Because in the shorter term group, it's too short. Yeah. Right. They manipulated the costs and they found that there was no effect on procrastination. Okay. Because people discount the costs yep. of Stuff, so if you make it higher or higher cost, yeah. they are still just discounting it. Yeah, which I thought was really interesting. Mm. The follow up survey, so basically people appear to procrastinate because of a belief that they can do it later, mm. right? And they underestimate the costs, right? And so, and then if they increase the and procrastination increased when the future relative benefits increased. Stuff is like a really desire more desirable yeah like, you're like it's oh, counterintuitive yeah it's definitely counterintuitive yeah and so they have this really interesting discussion about these results in terms of consumer behavior so this idea of like sets short specific deadlines so tourist week yeah, right and I mean they don't say in the paper but say you go tourist week versus say tourist month yeah right um, to see tourist attractions or if you get a, or if you get a gift voucher, and you're a company that wants people to use that voucher, yeah. then short timelines, yeah. not long, right? Yeah. Or you might want to encourage redemption by offering rewards for using early mm-hmm. if you don't want to lim- limit the length of your promotion. You know, so there's high redemption when there's a sense of urgency. And apparently, they Disney did this with their theme parks mm-hmm. and reduced the fees to their theme parks if it was your, the day of your birthday. Right, yeah. which is the ultimate kind of urgency. Yeah, maximizing sense of urgency. You yeah. have to do it on that day. Yeah, right? one day offer. Yeah, yeah. But then they also have this great thing of saying, well, some companies might not want high redemption. Mm, that's right? what I was thinking. Right, so <laughs> they
0: might want to look like they're offering it, but yeah, not actually it. get the yeah. And
1: they quote so they quote a study that's saying that the value in the United States of unused gift cards was at eight billion dollars yeah. in two thousand and six. Yeah, That's a lot of it's money. It's yeah. It's always interesting to find some expiry. Because someone's
0: paid for it, but you haven't Someone actually used the, right. yeah.
1: And they finished off the article saying, you know, there's efforts to legally extend expiry dates, mm-hmm. you know, consumer advocacy groups and stuff like that. But actually, that might have the opposite effect. Yeah. <laughs> Stand just end up design. hoarding them forever. <laughs> yeah. So, look, I, I know that that was five <clears throat> studies. I hope that you stuck with me with that. Very interesting, but That was really, really interesting. So, we don't just procrastinate on things that we think are bad. We also do it on things that we think are good.
0: Interesting. So. We're complex little creatures, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, last one from me. I think... That the amount of times I've mentioned the Dark Triad is almost approaching the amount of times I've mentioned attachment.
1: Oh, almost. Almost. almost.
0: But here we go again. So,
1: the Dark Triad, we did a podcast. One of the, I think it was episode 15. Five, something like that. Yeah, looking at the podcast stats, it's been really, really popular. So,
0: so maybe that's it. Maybe everyone's responses is just reinforcing how often I go, "Oh, there it is."
1: Yeah, that's it. So,
0: this study is called "Thieves of Time: Procrastination and the Dark Triad of Personality" by Minna Lyons and Holly Rice in Personality and Individual yeah. Differences. <laughs> what year? Two thousand and fourteen. Yeah. So they talk about how previous research has linked procrastination to low conscientiousness, high extroversion, low emotional intelligence, and an evening chronotype, which is a preference for evening over morning.
1: So, like, so basically, are you a night owl? Are you a night owl, yeah, yeah,
0: essentially. As we spoke about before, all of those kind of match the big five results in the previous study I mentioned. So all these are related to the dark triad, which is psychopathy, Machiavellianism, and narcissism. They suggest that the link between the dark triad and procrastination is about difficulties with self-regulation, but they kind of talk about how previous research has been inconsistent. They also talk a bit about evolutionary psychology, and so about how that it's advantageous for us to sort of have a pressure to do things quickly and to not put it off or look at long term goals. So they talk about biology and mating and things like that. That yeah. for men in particular, acting quickly is preferable to kind of waiting down the track.
1: Yeah, but that's what, that's because you just get put into the friend zone.
0: Yeah. 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 That's exactly what they're talking about. <laughs> so they think that because men tend to be higher in these kind of dark triad Traits mm-hmm. than women. There's kind of a biological reason for that and a drive. They kind of start with that and then they go off and talk about procrastination again and then come back to that in the discussion. But I just thought I'd flag it as an interesting part of the article. So they got 369 people to complete questionnaires online and they uh, completed measures of a couple of types of procrastination and the dark triad. For this study, they looked at two other types of procrastination that we haven't talked about before. One is it is avoidant. So that's delaying negative tasks in favor of pleasurable tasks or delaying to avoid negative feedback that's going to come from your performance.
1: So it's basically like doing something but then avoiding your supervisor. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yep. Yeah.
0: And then arousal procrastination, which is getting sort of positive enjoyment from last minute deadlines. So it's kind of got a thrill seeking element. They put oh, it down yeah, to. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> we got on that. So they reckon that both of those would be related to dark triad characteristics because it's no, about I, being I'm impulsive.
1: Yeah, totally, totally true. Because yeah. there's a, there's a certainly an element of like, yeah, I'm so good. I can, I, do can, this. I can do this.
0: Yeah, so it feeds into both the narcissism this element, narcissism. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then also avoiding that negative critique. Yeah, and then the impulsiveness. So it kind of has a nice feel to it. Absolutely. Yeah. You're right. So results: they found that men scored higher than women on all of the dark triad, as per usual, except for one of the subscales of narcissism, but otherwise everything else. So they found that men and women procrastinate an equal amount. Uh, In both types of those procrastination, so avoidant or arousal-based procrastination. Entitlement or exploitativeness and psychopathy were both linked to avoidance procrastination. And then they also found a significant negative relationship between arousal procrastination and narcissism. So that kind of getting a thrill from submitting something at the last minute or doing something at the last minute.
1: To that supportive.
0: Was was related to narcissism. And in women, they found that avoidance procrastination was related to psychopathy and with their total scores on the dark triad, but it wasn't significant in men. So they go a little bit into that as well. But essentially what they found was that the two types of procrastination weren't significantly different in their relationship to the dark triad. So they were related, but when you actually compared the two to one another, it wasn't there wasn't a difference. Right. So it's not like there's one that's more closely related to the dark triad than mm, the, other. the other. Yeah. So they went into a fair bit of detail about kind of pulling apart why they might have found these results. They linked it back into evolutionary psychology with the idea that procrastination is part of a tendency to seek immediate benefits rather than delayed rewards. So you want to make sure that you get the enjoyable things or find the food or whatever it is right now Mm -hmm. they also talked about how the lack of relationship between psychopathy and procrastination for men might be due to psychopathy being more adaptive for men than for women so that sort of in a social sense being more driven and not caring as much about sort of other people's responses and things like that is actually quite useful in our current society, as well mm, as historically,
1: more, more socially acceptable.
0: Exactly, yeah. So, and it's kind of seen as well what you have to do if you want to succeed, or particularly in sort of like I'm thinking business fields and things like that. It's kind of like well, you you just do that. Mm-hmm. Also spoke about how that perhaps there's a tendency for people who are high in narcissism and avoidance procrastination to be lower in self-esteem, so they're procrastinating to avoid that negative feedback to protect their low self-esteem and that they're also higher in neuroticism so they're more anxious about that sense of self being disrupted right so it all kind of fit together quite nicely yeah they talked again it's quite complex it's quite complex
1: hard to contain it in my head as a it is so
0: essentially the if you're higher in the dark triad particularly for women you're higher in these types of procrastination, Both, yeah, yep, and that tendency to feel entitled to things and to have psychopathic sort of tendencies, callous sort of callous,
1: less, <sighs> lack of caring, you know, yeah, for other people, focused
0: on kind of the outcome regardless of the means, that sort of thing, is linked to avoiding, uh, so sort of avoidant procrastination, so you know, delaying things in favor of pleasurable activities or trying to avoid having negative feedback.
1: I mean, you would wonder whether there's an element of, like, not caring about the impact on others of your procrastinatory behaviour. I'd say so, yeah. Um, or as well as perhaps, like, impulsivity. Yeah, element. and that sort of
0: hedonism sort of yeah, thing. Of a of, psychopath. Yeah, psychopath. Yeah. So, it, it kind, of,
1: it's kind of it fit
0: their theory, but there are a couple of things that I think they expected that each element of the dark triad... Would predict these types of procrastination, and it was a bit more nuanced than that.
1: Yeah, it it does actually sound like it's yeah, it's a bit more nuanced. Who it was with undergraduates?
0: It was with individuals online. So online, yep, anyone, yeah. So the Machiavellianism part of the Dark Triad didn't seem to be related to procrastination. Yeah, right. So it's more about sense of self and general callousness and using the environment is kind of you know navigating the environment in a way that works out best for you yeah. that sort of elements that are related to these types of procrastination
1: yeah is machiavellianism is about whether you do manipulate other people exactly it's unrelated yeah yeah, yeah it's not positive yeah right yeah hmm.
0: so there you go yeah. curly one to
1: Cur- curly one <laughs> curly one, but one but to finish with but i think, it, i think it gets at the fact that procrastination is there's a lot of facets to it serves a lot of functions yeah it does yeah. it serves a lot of functions and a lot of elements that can really drive it. and i think that's why people find it so challenging because you can get really in a rut of procrastination I mean, on this massive self-fulfilling prophecy. yeah and other times you can just be you can go to work all day come home yeah. do more work
0: yeah and it seems i think it's probably why it's so common as well like a couple of articles in terms of sort of background information we're talking about and how it's 50 to 70 percent of students say that they procrastinate and that's a problem mm. so it's it's pretty common we,
1: we've given a snapshot of the literature that we could we could easily do another podcast
0: yeah or... there were hundreds of it, it was articles, like <laughs> yeah
1: it was really interesting to sort of see that like how and compared with some of the other that we've done, yeah. Just the sheer number of articles on, on procrastination, yeah.
0: Which I don't know about you, but my procrastination for this involved searching through multiple articles, yeah, and trying to decide.
1: I was real. Well, I was really disappointed. I was really trying to search for something to do with artists and mm. and, and authors. So I yeah, my next door neighbour is an author. Yeah, and we were having a chat about about, about this topic. Yeah, I was really interested to see because uh, he was sort of suggesting yeah, this thing about self-sabotage and people yeah. self-sabotage themselves. It's interesting. interesting. We don't just work in a linear process.
0: No, no, unfortunately. No.
1: Hmm. Well, should we have a break? Yes. I think I will... Shall I do the pro- the procrastination scale in the break?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. You're listening to Two Shrinks Pod. We'll see you soon. In the beginning
1: of the history of experimental observation or any other kind so this is a part of the show where we say thank you for listening to yes. the pod we enjoy it and we uh, hope you are enjoying it too
0: yes thank you dear listeners
1: <laughs> thank you dear listeners Amy has a thing about Radio shows and podcasts where people say, dear listeners.
0: Yes. If anyone's got some research out there about the use of the phrase, dear listeners, I'm all up for it. Go for it. Or really, if there's anything else that you want us to talk and about. We, and
1: where would they email us?
0: They would email at, uh, us at twoshrinkspod at gmail.com.
1: And excitingly, some people have actually rated and reviewed the show. Woohoo! who Like I asked. Thank so, you. Thank Lovely you. listeners. That's it.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone else would like to... Add their accolades to the list. We would love it.
1: That would be great. You, you no, know, it really uh, does actually help people uh, find the show. Yeah. And hear about the show. The more people that can rate it, the better. I don't really understand how iTunes works. but it's, Yeah, bumps you up the list. Bumps you up the list. So that yeah. kind of thing. And or, you know, even just tell people about the show if you are uh, enjoying
0: it. Hmm. If you're not, say nothing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I something. don't
0: know why you're still listening, but... <laughs> just... Keep your opinions. They're all procrastinating. (laughs) Oh, that's it. Welcome.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Is there anything else we need to say?
0: Mm, I think that's about it.
1: I'm going to go and do this procrastination test and we will come back. Excellent. I'm not feeling confident.
0: I think you're going to be worse than me.
1: I reckon I am. Yep. Two shrinks, pod. (laughs) And we're back. Are and you
0: ready to share with our millions of <laughs> listeners your procrastination score?
1: So you got out of a hundred, you got forty-nine. I got sixty-three. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I suspect that may be an <laughs> underestimate on my part.
0: As the questions went on, you were just slowly rounding it down a bit. Do you have a uh, things we came across? I do.
1: Yeah. So I had really hoped to do something on Blade Runner because I, I saw sure. the I saw the new Blade Runner last night, which and it was really really good. I saw it at IMAX, which was yeah amazing. Mm. If you do a Blade Runner search <laughs> into a search engine,
0: you get some weird stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, I certainly I found a couple of like psychoanalytic analyses of the original Blade Runner. Okay, dense and actually not particularly psychoanalytic, just more about. Thematic kind mm. of things, and then these other hits. Like there was something to do with was it Oscar Pretorius? You know the oh yeah the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then like things like wind turbines, and then also like ice. Oh, hockey. blade. Yeah, yeah, and ice hockey injuries. So
0: yeah. oh yeah, because you got a blade and you're running.
1: Yeah, so it was, it was kind of <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was quite interesting. Mm. Uh, so I kind of searched around a bit, and I found a article that caught my eye because it actually relates to a personal experience that I've had. Hmm. So, I mean, I've been involved in some research over the years, but I'm not really particularly an academic. I've authored two papers where I was the lead author. And on that, have my email address yeah. on those things as if, if you want to correspond. Yeah. And because of that, I now get like spam emails Sure. to that email address. Suggesting, you know, do you want to come and be an editor of, of our journal or like come? That doesn't to, exist. That doesn't exist. Yeah. Or, you know, it's like in Nigeria or something. Yeah. But, you know, c- come and speak at this conference on lung cancer. You know, it's this oncology conference. And it's like, well, I'm a psychologist. I just study on like mm. cancer patients, but yeah. it's <laughs> not. Look, it's, I, I know it's thoracic medicine, but I'm not going to be doing that. Yeah. My favorite one was I got this email from this conference in India mm-hmm. on oncology, and it was Indian and European oncology. Huh. And, and I think that they thought I was from You're. Austria, <laughs> no, Australia. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, uh, my wife who loved India, yeah, she was very excited. <laughs> until I said, There's no way I'm doing no. it. So, so the paper is from British Medical Journal. They do a Christmas edition mm-hmm. where they do lots of fun research stuff, and the paper is by Andrew Gray and colleagues. He's a New Zealand academic. The title is "We Read Spam a Lot." Prospective Cohort Study of Unsolicited and Unwanted Academic Invitations. Okay. They start off saying unsolicited and unwanted electronic invitations to speak at or attend at conferences, to write, for, edit journals or a burgeoning aspect of academic life. And that people regard such invitations with wry amusement, intense frustration or resignation. They say, in a definitely ironic twist, the lead also emailed five prospective collaborators <laughs> to invite them to participate in the study Invitations addressed the recipient as eminent professor and included five or more exclamation marks and lacked an option to unsubscribe. Non-response to an invitation prompted a flurry of follow-up emails. So anyway, the paper, they they defined spam as unsolicited or unwarranted email invitations to attend or present at a conference or to mm-hmm. write or edit a journal. And what they did is very interesting. They, between February the 1st, 2014 and 30th of April, 2014, they collected spam emails mm-hmm. and then during May 2014, they unsubscribed from the mailing list of all the organisations distributing the spam mm-hmm. and then in June of 2014 and then in April of 2015, they collected spam emails. Okay. Checked out like what happened. What happened, yep. Basically. Skipping to the results, they said that, well, you know, study investigators were mid-career, they were modestly productive Conducted research across several disciplines like endocrinology, rheumatology, biostats, epidemiology, and women's health. But on the basis of the salutations contained in the emails received during the study period, each investigator is apparently highly esteemed. (laughs) Funny that. Apparently, they'd also made important contributions. Sure. Is a distinguished expert. And has great expertise, sometimes Mm. in disciplines surprisingly remote from the primary academic focus. Mm, Good Uh, for them. (laughs) Good for them. So, get this, 312 spam invitations per calendar month during the study period. Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Over, so, how Uh, uh, many uh, And non-spam
1: was 11. So, this was five investigators. Hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. It's far more than I expected.
1: So they unsubscribed, and the number of invitations received in June decreased by 39%. Mm-hmm. And then in April the following year, the number of spam inc- increased back up to 253. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> it didn't have a lasting effect, unsubscribing. Hmm. And then they also rated the relevance. Yeah. And more than 75% of spam invitations were no or of low relevance <laughs> to the recipient. Okay. Yeah. So the headings was bulk spam, which mm-hmm. we're talking about. And then the next heading was reheated spam. <laughs> and then talking about that 11 to 21% of spam emails were duplicates. Yep. And then they talked about spam distributors. Mm-hmm. And that there was four publishers each distributed more than 10 spam invitations. To write a manuscript or edit a journal. Yep. Three spam sources sent more than 10 conference invitations. (laughs) Interesting. And then they and then the next heading was Spam Dressed as Lamb, (laughs) where they they identified some catching subject lines, Mm -hmm. such as Learn and Have Fun at the International Conference on Orthogonic Surgery and Orthodontics. Or the special issue on wine health. Although the authors point out that sadly no offers to recruit mid career academics to the studies of wine were apparent. <laughs> and they wished that they had a startup because they would have certainly wanted to know the answer to the question of think your startup has the wow factor? <laughs> the next heading was tasty spam. So this is memorable examples of spam. So they were impressed by the great enthusiasm of the in- invitations mm-hmm. featuring up to six exclamation marks. Wow. Yeah, right. That's
0: pretty excited.
1: So they classified them under the friendly and exuberant heading. There was. It gives us immense pleasure to share this moment of happiness. That the Journal of Global Economics is planning to release continuous issues every month. Or oh, we would be really happy to anchor with you.
0: Hang, hang on to anchor with you. Yeah, to
1: anchor with you uh, in the aspirational and dedicated. Section. there was a dedicated proofreaders cheerfully labor on your manuscripts in a speedy way with high quality standards on the back of their minds <laughs> and offer you very appropriate content improvisation whenever required nice that was one sentence <laughs> uh or we aim to enlighten the lamp of information across the sphere especially in the areas of science and technologies Yep. so that they, they found scrambled spam where they were not Sure to make of the session of the third annual world congress of geriatrics, gerontology huh. that can provide you with the best promotion channels in partner seeking, investor relation, retreatment, and talent search. A, huh. Yeah, that's it. Oh, go <laughs> <okay, laughs> back. The, the, the what I thought was really, really subtle this is the academic spam study mm-hmm. <laughs> or <laughs> ass. <laughs> So, Excellent. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So, and they talked about premium st- spam. So, intriguing journals and conferences that they wish they, they'd attended. So Journals was hair: <laughs> colon therapy and transplantation. <laughs> Interesting. And, yeah, and then you know just all these other yeah yeah the 2015 international conference on steel and composite structures. So you know, I'm, I'm not sure that endocrinologists, rheumatologists, biocardial physicians <laughs> or epidemiologists.
0: Probably not into that.
1: G- go to those things, but yeah.
0: They might like. for fun. <laughs> so, if they had time.
1: Yeah, so they, I mean, they, they, they talk about the fact that they get like an average of 2.1 spam invitations a day. Hmm. Unsubscribing has a modest and short-lived effect on the quantity of spam. Hmm. So I thought that was, that was quite was Very kind of interesting. Fun. Yes. Where, where, where are we going with you?
0: Uh, childhood, memories. <laughs> uh-huh. So I went to a wedding last weekend, a family wedding. And as always happens at family weddings, there's lots of talking about you know the past, mocking one another about childhoods. And it got me thinking about memory that's associated with smell. Mm-hmm. And so this article is called Smell Your Way Back to Childhood, Autobiographical Odour Memory yeah, right. by Willander and Larson.
1: Do you have an example? Of
0: like a memory that...
1: That got triggered by a particular smell.
0: There's a smell of a particular biscuit that always reminds me of my nana's because it's the only place that I would have it. Yeah. And so there's sort of a memory of being curled up on under this same blanket and eating these cheese biscuits. Mm. And any time I see them or smell them, yep. there's an immediate, like, I'm under the blanket, I'm reading. Yeah. I'm eating the biscuits. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Do you have a...
1: one comes straight to mind? Yeah, there was this particular sort of sweet, cleaner smell, like mm-hmm. from the hospital. It was very strong smelling of of a psych ward that I yeah. did an observational placement on. If your first introduction to the mentally ill is a psych ward, yeah. it's a pretty rough, confronting, confronting yeah. experience. And so that smell, if I smell that smell, okay. I'm like I'm taken right back to this that. That yep. kind of thing yep. Very, very powerful
0: Yeah So that's the That's the kind of thing That we're interested in They talk about how Previous research Into autobiographical memories Tends to focus on Verbal cues And that the same kind of Pattern keeps on Being found So that there's a period Of childhood amnesia Where we have Dramatically less Memories of early Childhood And then there's a, What they call a bump Which is that we have Really large chunk of memories From 10 to 30 Years old mm-hmm. And then there's recency, so that you have the best recollection of the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. They talk about how the the research that has been done into uh, memories associated with smell tends to suggest that they're more emotional than things that are evoked by words. Mm -hmm. And they hypothesize that this is to do with the brain regions that are involved. So the amygdala and the hippocampus, which are all about sort of emotional sensory Input and that these memories tend to be more vivid than ones evoked by words. And so they wanted to compare memories evoked by smell, pictures, and words in older adults. So they interviewed 93 healthy volunteers that were aged between 65 and 80, and they broke them up into three conditions. So one lot uh, were provided with odours, one with words, one with pictures, and they were sort of uh, they were ones that were common odours and words and pictures and things in that culture. So it's a, I think, Swedish study. Mm-hmm. So it was things like glue vine, you know, the spiced wine, that sort of thing. And so after they were presented with the stimuli, then they were asked about the quality of the memories, what came up for them, emotional content, that sort of thing. So what they found was that the subjects generated similar numbers of memories for each Stimuli, but that the odour cues produced more memories from the first decade of their life. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that in the second decade, so 10 to 20 years old, words produced the highest proportion of memories. They found that pictures were more emotional than words or odours in the content that they brought up, but that odour memories, like you spoke about, were more strongly associated with this feeling of being, like, wrenched back in time. Mm. Yeah, so there's something about it that just has that transporting mm. kind of effect and that we tend to talk about memories that are evoked by pictures more than what we do about memories evoked by words or odors mm. in our day-to-day life. So the, the memories that they had, they brought up about the odors and the words, they hadn't actually spoken about much. It was just sort of
1: well, lurking in you there. You wonder whether they're more personal for some reason.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I found that quite interesting and certainly my odour memories mainly are in that early Part of life, and you would wonder
1: whether that's a function of you know, you're developing your language.
0: That's what I'm thinking, yeah, because you wouldn't have as much verbal ability hmm. prior to 10. And we,
1: and we don't really have good ways to describe spell,
0: no, they're not detailed, no. So, yeah, there you go. Mm. So, there's a reason why I think of my nana every time I spell cheds. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> biscuit that seems to exist nowhere else (laughs) that's it it. and i also found it interesting that the age of the people who participated that that's still you know at 80 the smells are evoking things from the first 10 years of their life
1: yeah yeah it's amazing amazing. good good place to end
0: yep so thank you for joining us tonight we'll be back next week on a topic yet to be decided (laughs) we'll see you next time (laughs) see you later bye